St. Patrick's Day is marked by wearing green and drunken parties, but we'll talk about the holiday's Christian roots with historian William Federer. And with Easter coming up this Sunday, the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hanegraaff, joins us to discuss the resurrection. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. It's Holy Week. It's uh, Easter. It's uh, Resurrection Sunday coming up. And what a great time of celebration for Christians. You know, I'm looking at a story from Sports Illustrated several years ago when the Diamondbacks won uh, the World Series. And Sports Illustrated did a feature on the greatest comebacks of all time. Elvis Presley is listed, a TV special from 1968 that revived a sagging career, Muhammad Ali uh, returning after a seven-year exile from boxing, even Harry Truman, a great political Trump comeback. But the number one comeback of all time was Jesus Christ, A.D. 33, stuns the Romans and defies critics by his resurrection from the grave. What a tremendous testimony in Sports Illustrated to the power of the resurrection. This week, we're talking about the reality of the resurrection, and it is a power-packed week. Coming up at the half hour, Hank Hennegraff, the Bible Answer Man. We're going to talk to him about the evidence for the resurrection, and really, what is the practical impact of the resurrection in your Christian life? Later in the week, we've got Dr. Daryl Bach and Lee Strobel. That's tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday, Michael Youssef, the Church of the Apostles. Also, we've interviewed Richard Baucom and Ben Witherington this week. Uh, it's exciting. You don't want to miss these interviews on the resurrection throughout the week. You know, a lot of people wanting to know, what sets Christianity apart from other world religions? I want to suggest to you it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that at the half hour. In fact, we're taking your emails today. What does the resurrection mean to you? Now, I want you to go to talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? Just send us an email, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, later in the program, we're going to address this ongoing controversy about Barack Obama's pastor who's made some very racist remarks. Obama set to give a major speech on race tomorrow, 
And here are his preview comments today. As somebody who you know, was born into a diverse family, as somebody who has uh, little pieces of America all in me, I will not allow us to lose this moment. To lose this moment. He may lose the election if he can't straighten this out and and change his church membership. We're going to talk about that later in the program. Well, President Bush today, of course, is uh, trying to talk positively about the economy uh, and especially addressing this whole Bear Stearns uh, buyout by J.P. Morgan. Treasury Secretary Paulson uh, had to come back and tell reporters facing some criticism about the Fed's role in saving Bear Stearns. He told reporters that uh, they really had to do it. It was important for the overall good of the economy for the Fed to move very quickly on this Bear Stearns situation. These actions were all consistent, and it was important that this be resolved before the markets opened uh, opened in Asia on Sunday afternoon. Of course, the Fed also lowered the discount rate, uh, working very quickly, Dr. Johnson, to try to uh, keep the economy moving along. All right, what color are you wearing today? Is it green? Is it orange? Today is St. Patrick's Day. Well, it is St. Patrick's Day, and I guess we're asking the question, are you Irish? Are you wearing green? Uh, does this day make you think of leprechauns or clover or parades and partying? And really, the question, though, we're going to ask of our guest today is, who was St. Patrick? He was actually a very important person in Christian history. And with us to discuss this is historian William Federer. He's a nationally known speaker, best-selling author. Of course, he's got his daily email, American Minute, and this is what alerted me to uh, his comments on St. Patrick. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Pennant, Jerry, great to be with you. Well, it's good good to have you because uh, everybody, of course, thinks about parties and uh, wondering if you're wearing green and if you're not, you get pinched. But really, St. Patrick should be celebrated for his role in uh, uh, Christianity, especially in uh, the country of Ireland. So tell us about it. Well, I wrote a book. It's called uh, St. Patrick, The Real Story of His Amazing Life. And to appreciate him, you need to know the setting of the world at the time he was alive. Rome was falling. This thousand-year-old Roman Empire was being invaded by illegal immigrants. They were the Ostrogoths and Visigoths and Angles and Saxons and Jutes and Lombards. One of the tribes was called the Vandals. You can only imagine what they did mm. when they went through town. <laughs> and uh, they first assimilated, but then they came so fast they didn't learn the Latin language. Uh, well, this sounds they, so familiar. And then they began to have terrorist attacks. Attila the Hun, called the Scourge of God, was wiping out whole cities. And so the Roman legions had to be deployed all across the empire and they had to raise taxes to exorbitant rates to pay for all this. Meanwhile, the whole again city it sounds Rome, familiar. <laughs> the whole city of Rome was on welfare. Uh, they would give out uh, free bread and circuses. The people wanted to distract themselves with violent entertainment. The uh, gladiators fighting to the death in the Colosseums, and um, then morally they were corrupt. They had uh, uh, unwanted infants were exposed, and the, the mother would have to get rid of them if the father didn't want the child. They had infidelity, sexual immorality, and even uh, homosexuality in their bathhouses and gymnasiums. And, of course, you say, well, what's wrong with a gymnasium? Well, gym, G-Y-M-N, is the Greek word for naked. So a gymnasium was where a bunch of naked (laughs) men ran around. Anyway, the 5th century historian Salvian wrote, 
the Goths lie, but are chaste. The Saxons are savage in cruelty, but admirable in chastity. What hope can there be for the Romans when the barbarians are more pure than they? Wow. Let no one think otherwise. The vices of our bad lives have conquered us. But into this mess was born Patrick around 387 to 415 A.D. We don't know the exact date. Um, and uh, the Roman legions had to be pulled back from Britain, which was a Roman colony, had to leave it unprotected uh, because the legions were protecting Rome. So here was Patrick. He was carried away along with thousands of others when raiders and Vikings would begin attacking, and Patrick was sold as a slave in Ireland. And Ireland at the time was ruled by the Druids. Uh, the Druids were bloodthirsty. We get Halloween from the Druids, the, mm-hmm. the trick-or-treat, and uh, they believed the, the forests were filled full of spirits that needed to be constantly appeased. And those spirits, sort of cutesy, have come down to us as leprechauns, but back then uh, it was more serious. They would uh, sacrifice humans to these spirits, and the newborn babies were, were sacrificed to the harvest gods, and prisoners of war were sacrificed to the war gods, and... Uh, they would, you know, take the tops of heads and use them as goblets and use, uh, stick them on spikes around their uh, little fortresses and so forth. So here's this 16-year-old Patrick. He's a slave over in this Druid Ireland, and he begins to remember what his parents taught him about faith. Hey, Bill, let me interject here. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Bill Federer. And, folks, we're talking about the fact that it's St. Patrick's Day. And, Bill, that is a dark picture, what you've painted, what was going on in England and in Ireland. Tell us how St. Patrick made the difference. Well, it sounds like we've lost Bill no, no, Federer. I'm here. I'm oh. sorry. I had a, um, another interview calling in. Uh, <laughs> I thought we were on the 6 o'clock hour until a few minutes ago. I but think he's um, in demand today. Well, he must be. Bill, tell us how St. Patrick made the difference. Well, Patrick... Um, uh, came to faith and then had a dream telling him to escape. And he escaped back to uh, Britain. And uh, then when he was 40 years old, he had a dream. And he writes in his confessions, he says, In the depth of the night I saw a man named Victoricus coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters, and he gave one to me. And uh, as I read, I thought I heard the voice of those who were beside the Western Sea crying, Please, holy boy, come and walk among us again. Their cry pierced my heart. I could sleep no more, so I awoke. Well, Patrick took this as a Macedonian call to go back to um, uh, Ireland, and he had a top-down style of evangelism. He would confront the Druids, uh, walk right into their smoky dens, and he could speak their language because he had been a slave for six years. And uh, the Druids wanted to kill him 12 different times. He was facing life-threatening situations. Uh, He writes, daily I expect murder, fraud, or captivity. Once they kept him in chains for two weeks, uh, but nevertheless, he baptized 120,000 people. Wow. He started 300 churches. He used the three-leaf clover to teach the Trinity. And um, World Book Encyclopedia even acknowledges that Patrick found Ireland all heathen and left it all Christian. And, of course, he died on March 17th of 461 A.D., 1,500 years ago. But the most interesting aspect is that in the next century, those churches that Patrick had started sent missionaries back to Europe to convert those heathen hordes that had overrun the Roman Empire. So it sort of comes full circle. And uh, uh, one of the missionaries was named uh, Columba, and he had a mission on the island of Iona, and he evangelized the Scots and the Picts. And then there was another named um, Columbanus who started over 100 monasteries in Europe. But, um, uh, but sort of fast-forwarding, uh, in 1846, there was an Irish potato famine, and millions of Irish Catholics came to America. 
And at first, uh, they were very much discriminated against, And uh, but then they had their first St. Pat's Day parade, and the politicians noticed what large numbers they had, and they began to march in the parades with them, and it caused the uh, Irish to rise in stature. So along with the Irish is a willingness to uh, assimilate and uh, their work ethic. Uh, those parades were not just a party time. It was something that basically caused them to be uh, more respected. And today, uh, 30 million Americans have some Irish ancestry, about 10.8% of the country. Uh, that's the largest ancestor group other than German. Uh, and, of course, followed by African American at 88 and then English. But uh, 10 U.S. presidents have Irish heritage, everybody from Andrew Jackson to John F. Kennedy to Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. But on St. Pat's Day, everybody's Irish. So uh, Aaron Gobra, Ireland forever. Ireland forever. Well, that's especially for old Andy Horner, our friend out there who uh, glories in his Irish heritage. Uh, thank you so much, William, for being with us today. And uh, now, folks, you know the meaning of St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day. Thanks so much, Bill. Hey, thank you, Jerry and Penna. All right. Well, what about this feature of green? Now, you may be wearing orange, by the way, because the Protestants wore orange and the Catholics wore green. And maybe somebody out there, you say, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm not a Catholic or I'm an evangelical. What do I do? And do I affirm this day? Well, folks, this this is going back to the 400s and the 500s. You say... Uh, the Catholic Church of that day and time is different than the Catholic Church of our day and time. Uh, St. Patrick was a Christian missionary that evangelized England, Ireland. There's a great book, as well as um, Bill's, called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's written by Thomas Cahill. Highly recommend that book. It talks again about the influence of the Christian missionaries like St. Patrick on England, on Ireland, and uh, we can be happy and glad for that today because we draw much of our heritage from uh, the English and the Irish. Well, this is Jerry Johnson Live with Penn and Dexter. We're going to be right back, and we're going to talk about Barack Obama. He's in trouble over the race question. Is his pastor a racist? He's been a member of the church for over 20 years. Also want to know what you think about this story. Mel Gibson reaching out to Britney Spears. Some kind of an intervention here. You want to call us about that? That's fine. The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. And, of course, this is Resurrection Week, Resurrection Sunday coming up, the reality of the resurrection. Hank Hennegraff, the Bible Answer Man, on at 530 to talk about the resurrection. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswill.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, coming right up, the reality of the resurrection. Hank Hennegraff will be on the line in 15 minutes, and you do not want to miss this man talk about the evidences for the resurrection and the difference the resurrection of Jesus Christ can make in your life. In fact, we're taking emails. Go to talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. We're asking you, what does the resurrection mean to you in your Christian life? The reality of the resurrection. But folks, we've got a reality TV story today, a reality Hollywood story, and that is this. Mel Gibson and his family have befriended Britney Spears. And I'm looking at a report. They were at the Romanoff restaurant uh, over the weekend. Gibson's entire family taking Britney Spears out for a dinner, uh, encouraging her, telling her they know what it's like to live in a fishbowl. Of course, Mel Gibson had his own DUI charge recently, had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. He had that anti-Semitic tirade there with the police officer. And what's the message here, I think, uh, from the Christian worldview? And I think one of the messages might be that we're all sinners in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Even the people in Hollywood who tell us how to live and sort of preach to us through their movies and their public service and their environmental activism and all of that, they are sinners in need. We're all sinners in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness and sometimes in need of intervention and sometimes in need of support. We want to know what you think about this story. We've got Montana on the line from Missouri. Montana, thank you so much for calling. What's your view on this story? Well, I've kind of been where Britney Spears is several years back, and uh, it's really funny. I think we call it confirmation now. Um, My wife and I were talking about doing the exact same thing trying to contact Britney Spears, and I'm not in Hollywood, but obviously. That uh, was exactly what I said we needed to do. Somebody needs to get a hold of that girl and befriend her first, because that's what the community had did with me, the Christian community, and, um, and, and just plant the seed. You know what I'm saying? Hey, thank you so much. What you're saying is, Montana, somebody needed to intervene. I noticed... Her father, James, was named a conservator of her estate after essentially the court said she was unfit being hospital. You know, she was put in a mental ward, um, not able to manage her own affairs. So people need to reach out. Of course, I think the family is the best place for that. You know, when I think of Mel Gibson now, ever since the Passion of the Christ, I, I think about it around this time, Easter time, and, you know, I don't know what he's sharing with her. I mean, he may be talking about her, his experiences and just, you know, how it is to be in this fishbowl uh, of criticism, but also, you know, it'd be wonderful if someone could share the gospel with her. I mean, she was once, Dr. Johnson, you know, sort of the uh, the conservative uh, entertainer that people thought it was okay for their kids to watch, and Look how she's spiraled down, and her life is such a mess. And when I see her picture now, I just, uh, my heart goes out to her. Her mm. children have been taken away from her. She can't seem to get rid of this addiction. And, uh, you know, she's young and immature, and uh, it's, it's horrible. And she really is ne- in need of Christ's forgiveness. Well, look, the take-home message, I think, on this is that to wh- whatever Mel Gibson is saying to her, 
we know there's a role for the church. And when we see people in our community, whether they're in Hollywood or in the high school or, as we saw last week, even community leaders in Dallas to the point of suicide Mm -hmm. or people on the street to the point of suicide, murder suicides, it's it's, I think, a signal again that there are hurting people out there. And uh, we need to be willing to come alongside them as a church, as a family, and as Christians, of course, to share the gospel. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings forgiveness, which brings change, and which will make the difference. Of course, the other major story in the news, Pena, is Barack Obama and the pastor of his church, and really uh, a kind of a racist message that's going it's really hurting the obama campaign well uh pastor jeremiah Wright, of course the church is united church of christ he's been the senior pastor and he's in the process of now stepping down sort of retiring and there's another pastor but the new one was handpicked by him barack obama's been in the church for 20 years and there's a big flap over whether barack obama should have left whether he resonates with some of these horrible comments and here's one of them i'm still in bible country i am still in the text jesus was a poor black man who lived in a country and who lived in a culture that was controlled by rich white people. The Romans were rich. The Romans were Italians, which means they were European, which means they were white. And the Romans ran everything in Jesus' country. It just came to me with, with, with within the past few weeks, y'all, why so many folk are hating on Barack Obama. Well, actually, he used that sermon to hate on Hillary Clinton. He said Hillary could never know what it's like mm-hmm. uh, to be called a certain word or to be oppressed by the white people. Uh, Barack knows that, but he's really playing the race card in the sermon sermonettes, if that's what you want to call them. And he actually uh, got more uh, explicit. And um, you may want to guard little ears. I hate saying that when it comes to a preacher and a sermon right now, but I think it's important for you to hear uh, just how explicit this pastor, Pastor Wright, at Barack Obama's church is in this um, sort of hate language towards America. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America that's in the Bible for killing innocent people. Okay, so that's Pastor Wright. Um, This is the man who married, did the ceremony for Barack and Michelle Obama. This is the man who dedicated and baptized his children. And this is the man who came up with the title for his book, The Audacity of Hope. And Barack Obama uh, needs to leave that church. He needs to leave that church. What do you think about it? We've got Michelle on the line from Dallas. Michelle has called about Obama. Michelle, what's your view on this controversy? My view is, at what point do how he's how is he being held responsible for his pastor's belief i understand and i do agree that now that this has come out for there may be a reason why he may have not known his pastor strongly believes those things but you have pastors standing now of mega churches that has spoke out about anything or has remained numb about things like the gays marriages and things like that um, Olsi hasn't spoken out about that. What he has said is that he's not going to condone it or not say anything against it. However, 
if some, he had very prominent people in Houston that go to his church. Are they supposed to be held responsible for his beliefs? I don't, I don't think so. And I don't like, you know, the fact that people are making a big deal of that, that, you know, he believes as his pastor believes. He may not, and I don't believe he does, but in the same sense. What his pastor you know, can I jump in a minute? Because his wife has just been famous for talking about how she's not been proud of America until now. And I think this message resonates with Fits. those kind of statements. You know, there have been other questions of Obama's patriotism. And so, you know, you, you kind of have to think that this pastor has influenced him over the years because he's been there 20 years. Let's go to a, a soundbite where this pastor says, essentially, we, we brought 9-11 on ourselves. We bombed Hiroshima, we bombed Nagasaki, and we nuked far more than the thousands in New York and the Pentagon, and we never batted an eye. We have supported state terrorism against the Palestinians and black South Africans, and now we are indignant because the stuff we have done overseas is now brought right back into our own front yards. America's chickens are coming home to roost. All right, what do you think of that? Should Barack Obama uh, be identified with this rhetoric unless he disassociates himself from it, unless he leaves the church? Or is this uh, really unfair to link him to his pastor's rhetoric? We've got Bob on the line from Terrell. Uh, Bob, what do you think about this? Uh, yes, Dr. Johnson. Something I heard uh, Friday on uh, Hanny and Combs. Uh, Hanny, Sean Hanty asked him what he thought about what was taught in the uh, white churches, and he was getting at what was taught about the gospel. He said that was what he called the white belief system. It was uh, a, a, a white supremacy. He said what he's teaching is the uh, black theology. Thanks, Bob, for that comment. I saw that interview. In fact, um, Reverend Wright kept asking Hannity if he had read James Cone's Black Theology, Black Liberation Theology, and that's a heresy. Uh, that Black Liberation Theology redefines sin as discrimination, and uh, that's liberation theology, whether it's women's liberation theology or gay liberation theology. It redefines sin as discrimination. It redefines salvation as liberation from discrimination, and... Um, it's again. It's a, a a total secularization of the gospel, and it um, takes uh, really salvation out of salvation. It's not about the forgiveness of sins. It's not about entering the kingdom of God. It's about political liberation, and that is what this man's preaching. But in the process of doing that, he's preaching an anti-white message, an anti-American message. And when Michelle Obama says, you know, I've not been proud of my country until now, could it be because she's been listening to this preaching for 20 years? Could it be because this man was on the advisory committee when he announced to run for president of the United States? Could it be because this man's sermon inspired the title of the book, The Audacity of Hope? Obama needs to leave that church. If he really means to disassociate himself from those views, he needs to leave that church. Well, when we come back, let's talk about what the real gospel is, not the social gospel, not the uh, black gospel, not the gay gospel or the white gospel. What is the gospel of the New Testament? It is Christ died for our sins, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave. The resurrection factor. The reality of the resurrection. The Bible answer man, Hank Hennegraff, 
coming up next. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Crystal College and Crystal Communications. All right, it's Holy Week. It's Easter. I like to call it Resurrection Sunday coming up, and we're talking about the reality of the resurrection. What is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And how does the resurrection message set Christianity apart from other world religions. With us to talk about it is Hank Hennegraff. He's president of the Christian Research Institute and host of the Bible Answer Man radio program. And he's one of the world's leading Christian apologists, and he's written a book, Resurrection. In fact, that book won the gold medallion for excellence in Christian literature. Welcome to the program, Hank. Well, it's great to be with you. Hank, let me ask you this question uh, as we think about the theme resurrection. Years ago, I listened to a sunrise service at Red Rocks in Colorado, and uh, the preacher up there said, you know, it's not so important that the body of Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He said the important thing was that Christ was raised in the heart of the disciples. That's the, it sounded very pious. Here's my question for you, Hank. Um, what is the resurrection? Are some people using our vocabulary but a different dictionary? Yeah, exactly, and I think that's the issue. We have to learn to scale the language barrier because people are using our terminology but pouring their own meanings into the words. When we talk about the resurrection, we are talking about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Had we been in the tomb when Christ rose from the dead, we would have seen dust fly off the very slab on which Jesus Christ lay. And the, the, the importance of this cannot be overstated, because Christ is the first fruits of those who are going to be resurrected as well. As he lives, we too shall live. And this was the very thing that took scared, scattered disciples and marshaled them into the greatest force imaginable, a force that turned an empire upside down. They had seen the resurrected Christ, and they knew that they too would rise, and that gave them the power and passion to turn an empire upside down. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Hank Kennegraff. Hank, let me ask you this question. You're already into this territory, but the preaching, the apostolic preaching of that early church, how important was the message of the resurrection uh, to the gospel? I'm a Baptist. Uh, we emphasize the blood, the cross. That's good, of course. But I'm wondering if evangelicals are maybe neglecting this apostolic message of resurrection. Sure. It's the center piece of all of Christianity. It is the, the central pillar on which all of Christianity rises or falls. If Christ is not risen, we have no hope. Paul says our faith is futile, we're still dead in our sins, and those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Paul goes on to say, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Uh, so the whole notion of the physical resurrection is axiomatic to Christianity. In fact, it's the very thing that caused uh, Christians to change their day of worship to Sunday. It was in honor of the resurrection we have 
in Jesus Christ, the hope, the rest, the resurrection that only Jesus Christ can bring to the human heart. Hank, you know, if some people say, well, look, resurrection really is about uh, the Spirit of Christ being raised in the hearts of the disciples, well, there's no miracle really there, no supernatural miracle. You're talking about uh, the biblical teaching that this was a supernatural bodily resurrection. Here's my question for you. We're living in a naturalistic age. We're living in an anti-supernatural age. So a lot of people are going to say, look, you're talking about the supernatural, the miracle. Uh, what is the evidence that this actually happened in time, in space? Could you lay on us the evidences for the resurrection? Sure, but first you've raised a very important issue, and that is if we're completely open-minded as people, we're going to allow for both a natural as well as supernatural evidences for uh, the things we encounter in this life. Uh, so I think to uh, reject the supernatural a priori or prior to investigation is to be closed-minded. And Paul gives us very crucial evidences in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first thing he says is that Christ died. He didn't swoon. Uh, God didn't make someone look like Jesus and the look-alike uh, being uh, crucified in this place. No, uh, the Bible's very clear that Jesus Christ died. He suffered fatal torment. Secondly, we know, according to Paul, that the tomb was empty. Christianity simply cannot survive an identifiable tomb containing the corpse of Christ. Thirdly, Jesus Christ appeared. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes it very clear that these appearances were numerous, and that people to whom Jesus Christ had appeared were still alive, and they were available for cross-examination. Mm. And further, they were so transformed uh, that they were willing to face everything that the empire could throw at them, because they had seen the resurrected Christ. Uh, you look at James, for example, the half-brother of Jesus. He was literally uh, afraid of the reputation of Jesus Christ. He was embarrassed by it, and yet, after Jesus Christ appears to him, he calls himself a bondservant of Christ. He becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. And Eusebius, the church historian, says that he's thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and subsequently stoned. Now, inevitably, you ask yourself this question, what does it take for someone to willingly die for the notion that one of his family members is God? Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ can account for that. Now, what's really interesting about all of this is this statement by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, it's codified in our text in verses 3 through 7, is not unique to Paul. This can be traced all the way back to the Hellenistic believers who lived in Jerusalem even prior to the time that Stephen was martyred. In other words, uh, this creedal statement can be traced to within the very context of the crucifixion. Therefore, there's no room whatsoever for legendary contamination or corruption. This is a unique, specific creed that was passed on through the Church, not in blindness, but because there were actual witnesses alive who had seen this happen, and this was not done in a corner. Well, Luke said in uh, Acts, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. This is Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Hank Hennegraff. He is the author of Resurrection. 
and he is one of the world's leading Christian apologists, defenders of the faith. Hank, uh, I, I want to pick up on something you mentioned. You said, look, without the resurrection, Christianity can't survive. You know, uh, about a year or so ago, we heard of Cameron's coffin. That is James Cameron trying to promote some archaeological discovery that was supposed to have the bones of Jesus. Let me just ask you this question. As a theologian, as an apologist, theoretically, if the body or the bones of Jesus Christ were discovered, would that nullify the truth claims of the gospel in Christianity? Yes, absolutely. It's the end of Christianity. That's why I said Christianity cannot survive an identifiable tomb containing the corpse of Christ. If Christ is not risen, Paul says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. This is the end of Christianity, and that's why this is a centerpiece for us. And again, it's not just a centerpiece, because uh, we can build a cumulative case that demonstrates that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but it guarantees our own resurrection as well. Uh, The fact that there's going to be a one-to-one correspondence between the body that dies and the body that rises, of course, that doesn't necessitate that every atom is resuscitated, but it does necessitate that there's continuity between the body that is and the body that will be. That paradise lost is going to become paradise restored. What happens to our body uh, goes hand in hand with what happens to the cosmos itself. And, and, and of course, that's the box top of Scripture. Uh, we're going to have a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned for a husband, and God himself will live with us. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away, and all things will become new. Now, if you denude Scripture of this singular truth, there is no hope. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, Mm. because tomorrow we die. Mm. Folks, you've heard Hank Krenograff talk about the fact that Christ's resurrection guarantees our own resurrection. Hank, I'm going to ask you this question, because we're asking our listeners actually to email us today. What does the resurrection mean to you? The email is talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. That's talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? Hank, I want to read this passage. and Paul says he's praying that these believers in Ephesus would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Here's my question for you. What is the practical impact of the resurrection day by day in the Christian life? Well, we no longer live to be politically correct, to be prosperous, to be popular, but we live with eyes no longer fixated on mean earthly vanities, but an elevated gaze that can view eternal verities, which is to say, we live with eternity in mind. And when that happens, we transform the culture. When it doesn't happen, we are merely a microcosms of the culture. And of course, the big thing for all of us this Easter is to become change agents who are willing to do what early first century Christians did in the 21st century as well. That's the Bible Answer Man, Hank Hennegraph, on the resurrection. Hank, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. All right, folks, the Apostle Paul said his prayer, that I may know him, that is Jesus Christ, and the power 
of His resurrection. Well, that's my prayer for you this Holy Week, this Easter week. Resurrection Sunday coming up. Let's get ready for it. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The reality of the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean to you? The number is 800-881-9270. 800-881-9270. What does the resurrection mean to you in your own Christian life and walk? Or send us an email, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. We'll share those today or tomorrow. Later on in the week, we've got an exciting group of guests coming in. Tomorrow, Lee Strobel, a journalist who set out to disprove the resurrection and he came to Jesus Christ studying that evidence. Also, Dr. Daryl Bach will be on the line tomorrow. Actually, he'll be in the studio. We've got some tremendous guests like Michael Yusuf coming in on Wednesday from the Church of the Apostles. We're talking about the reality of the resurrection. We want us, we want you to join us, and we want to celebrate the resurrection. Other stories we're following this week. Tibet is under the thumb of the Chinese. The Dalai Lama says this is cultural genocide. We're going to be following that story. Hillary Clinton says we cannot win the Iraq war. We're going to follow that story. Uh, The D.C. gun ban is being considered by the Supreme Court. We need to be following that story. Walmart is changing their stores for Muslims, for Arab Americans. And President Bush says he's on top of this financial crisis. We're going to continue to follow these and other stories. But the main feature this week is the reality of the resurrection. We want to know what you think. Call us at 800-881-9270. Penna, this is a special week. You were just telling me that uh, Easter week is special for you personally. Uh, Talk to us about Hank uh, Hennegraff's interview and uh, what you're thinking about. Well, uh, what stood out to me, I think, with this interview with Hank Hanegraaff, of course, he's the Bible answer man, is that if Christ is not risen, we have no hope. And also, he talked about the power uh, of the resurrection. And, you know, when you think of the tremendous power of God in that and raising Christ from the dead, that power is also available to us. And I was saved during during uh, Easter week many years ago when I was in college. And 
I had gone to a wedding where uh, the gospel was preached, but it had been preached to me a few times. And the power in those words, you know, it, it drew me and convinced me. And, you know, I was gloriously saved. And I know many people uh, in our listening audience have a similar testimony. But I think it's just, it's wonderful this week to really meditate on that, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. And that's why we are doing this every single day at 530. We'll have a great theologian joining us to talk about this. And we hope that people will tune in every day because uh, what's in store for them is, is something great. All right. Well, really, this theme of resurrection ties together everything we've talked about today. I want you to think about this for a moment, because St. Patrick went to uh, a land that had religion. There were pagan religions Mm -hmm. in Ireland, in England. There were the Druids. Evil religion. And that's one of the things that's so exciting to me about Christianity and Jesus Christ, and that is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ sets Christianity apart from all other religions. No other religion claims, even claims, no other religious leader even claims to have died for sins and for sinners. And for that religious leader and teacher and Messiah to be raised from the dead. It puts Jesus Christ in a class all by himself, over and against Buddha, over and against Muhammad, over and against Confucius. Jesus Christ, the only religious leader to even claim to have died for our sins and to be buried and to be raised from the dead, and certainly the only one to ever be raised from the dead. And that is a message that changed Ireland, changed England, and changed Western civilization as we know it. We celebrate that today on St. Patrick's Day. I'm also thinking about the Mel Gibson story. Do you see how the resurrection can make a difference. Well, certainly, as we said before, we hope someone would share the gospel with her, even someone whose life is a real train wreck, like Mel Gibson's was, like Britney Spears is, as we all know, as we go through the grocery line and just see the stories, even if you don't read about it. And, you know, Christ's resurrection, he died for sinners. And actually, if Britney Spears, you know, came to Christ... He could actually deal with the sin that's in her life that so many of us think is so bad. And, of course, there's so much sin in the world. There's so much devastation in the world. And uh, I think we have to look at that with compassion because that's the way Christ looked at the world. Yeah, I want to go back to that scripture in Ephesians 1 uh, where Paul says, I'm praying that you will know and understand some things. And Paul says, I'm praying that you will understand the greatness of his power toward us who believe And that is the power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, that's an amazing prayer that Paul is praying. He's praying that the Ephesian Christians would know the power they have at their disposal. What is that power? It's the same power. I'm talking about Ephesians 1.20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul is saying that Christians have at their disposal resurrection power. Think of the supernatural power required to raise the body of Jesus Christ from death to life. That is the power, Paul says, that we have and that he is praying that we would know we have as Christians. So forget Britney Spears for a moment. What about you? What about your life? What about the changes you're seeking? What about the disappointments? What about the habits, the addictions, the struggles you have? And you feel like you're powerless. You know what to do, but you don't feel like you have the power to do it. Paul is saying, I'm praying that you would know 
the power of the resurrection. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul had not arrived yet. He was still praying for this. He says that I may know him. Did Paul know Jesus? Yes, he knew him. But he wanted to know him in a deeper way. That I may know him, that I may know the power of the resurrection. Paul still wanted, desired, sought to know the power of the risen Christ in his life. Boy, that makes a difference. It also connects to this Obama story. This pastor, um, Pastor Wright, who used to be Obama's pastor, he's transitioning now as a emeriti type of a pastor, but he believes in the social gospel. Obama said that himself on Fox News. He's preaching the social gospel. We're talking about the biblical gospel, the real gospel. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins and was buried... And three days later, he rose from the grave, and he was seen by hundreds of people. That's the real gospel. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of the resurrection, do you know it in your own life? Do you know it in your own experience? Here we have an email which says, What the resurrection means to me. It's an objective confirmation of who Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Messiah. That's from Chris Graves right here in Lakewood. He says the resurrection means that we shall transcend this world and live in a perfect, restored world with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that, and each other throughout eternity. It gives us hope every minute, every day mm. of our lives. Well, what does the resurrection mean to you? That's Chris Graves from Lakewood. We want you to email us, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. We'll read it tomorrow or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Again, tremendous guests lined up. Tomorrow, a man who set out as an investigative reporter to disprove the resurrection. Uh, he came to faith in Christ instead. That's Lee Strobel. You'll hear him tomorrow along with Dr. Dale Bach. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.